Amen. You can turn back to Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. This morning, Lord willing, we're going to finish our thought defining the gospel. Defining the gospel. Reading our text again. Mark 16 and 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Then turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. We'll read that again. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, but which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the final part, part three of defining the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you. We draw nine to you. We ask, Lord, that you would draw nine to us, that you would open the Scriptures to our understanding, Father God, that we would be a settled and established, confident of your word and your gospel as defined by the scriptures. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we will conclude by addressing the final two gospel categories that I outlined, namely the conditions for preaching the gospel and the practical preaching of the gospel. The conditions for preaching the gospel and the practical preaching of the gospel. So first, the conditions to preach the gospel. And I'll go back to Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 49. We read this earlier, but we'll read it again. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So as we mentioned, our text profiles both the gospel and Pentecost. And Jesus here foretells of the gospel being preached all over the world, as well as the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the church, who would then be that suitable vessel to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Jesus forever linked these two landmark commandments, the Great Commission, or the preaching of the gospel, and Pentecost, or the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so it is, in the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have two basic conditions for preaching the gospel. And again, when we're saying preach, we don't mean, or we mean in a very general sense, as the entire body of Christ is obligated to fulfill the Great Commission. So we're not, we're not speaking about you know, the specific five-fold office calling of the evangelist, as mentioned in Ephesians 4, amen? But just in a general sense, all of us are under the command or the obligation of that command to preach the gospel in all the world. Somebody say amen. amen. 
So obviously, we cannot demand that men submit to a gospel that we ourselves are yet to believe, amen? We've got to believe the word of God first. We'll never accurately represent Christ if we ourselves have not been born again. We cannot urge repentance and remission of sins if we ourselves are still bound by sin. Slaves can never deliver slaves, amen? When God raised up a vessel, amen, to liberate Israel from Egyptian bondage, he didn't send them a slave, amen? He sent a God-called man who had a vision, who had a message of deliverance. His name was Moses. And likewise, you know, we look around in our nation, we are in bondage. We're in great, amen, darkness in this hour. And there needs to be a deliverance, amen, of the American culture, if possible. We know, amen, with God, all things are possible. But it's not going to come, amen, by a politician. Amen. God didn't send Israel a politician. Amen. It's not going to come through legislation. Amen. Let me tell you something. Wherever the problem is moral darkness and spiritual darkness, it must be addressed with spiritual light and moral light. That's the only thing that's going to, in other words, we say, oh, the church is in a terrible mess. Uh, the music they're listening to, how, how are we going to address that? We're going to address it by confronting it with light. Amen. And that's the only way, that's the only hope, amen, that this country has, is that the church would be salt and light. Amen. Today, people say, amen, what can we do? Amen. How, how can we, you know, change the culture? Uh, make sure you vote. No, no, no. Looking in the wrong place. Amen. We don't have a political problem. We have a spiritual problem. So the first condition to preach the gospel is a man must be first right with God himself. This is self-evident. We cannot lead someone, amen, to a place that we ourselves have not gone before. However, as our text in Luke 24 and 49 indicates, the next condition requires the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is a condition to preach the gospel. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, being filled with the Holy Ghost, not yesterday, not 10 years ago, not, oh, I still speak in tongues, being filled with the Holy Ghost today equips me to preach the gospel. If I'm not filled with the Holy Ghost today, I am ill-prepared to preach the word of God. Somebody say amen. And this again is confirmed by the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts 1, 4, and 5. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Amen. So we also know before Jesus uttered these words, after his resurrection, just a few weeks prior, he uttered the com or commanded, amen, in Mark 16 and 15. He gave the great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So in the great commission, Jesus is commanding the church to go and go into all the world. Likewise, in Luke 24, we read the same thing. Basically, amen, just, uh, you know, stated in another way, uh, the great commission to go into all the earth 
and preach the remission of sins and repentance. Amen. But just like in Luke 24, here in Acts 1 and 8, amen, Jesus offers a qualification. First, before you go anywhere, before you leave Jerusalem, before you venture into all the world, before you preach the gospel as I commanded you to preach the gospel, you must wait until you are baptized with the Holy Ghost, amen? Thus, Jesus is clearly establishing an absolute condition for preaching the gospel. Notice in both, in both Luke 24 and in Acts chapter 1, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is mentioned in context with the preaching of the gospel. Indeed, according to Jesus, it's the baptism of the Holy Ghost that fully equips us to be a sound gospel witness, he said in verse 8 there in Acts 1, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You know what we need? We need power. Every time you leave campus, amen, that thought ought to be in your mind. I need power, amen. All your inadequacies that are exposed as you seek to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, there's one question that arises or one need that arises, amen. That need is I need more of that Holy Ghost power or unction. And that word literally means otherworldly, miraculous power, authority, strength, and virtue. And so the Greek word translated power here means Divine power, divine ability, divine authority from without, whereby we can accomplish what would be impossible apart from God. Amen. Now, what God has called us to do in and of ourselves is an impossibility. No one here can be a witness apart from the Holy Ghost. No one here can be a witness. No one can be helpful. No one can be helpful, amen, apart from the Holy Ghost. If you venture into evangelism or really any kind of ministry in the flesh, void of the Holy Ghost, not only will you not be helpful, you will be a hindrance. Somebody say praise God. We need power. And this power is not something that we have ability to fabricate or manufacture. It only comes from God by virtue of being baptized in the Holy Ghost and staying filled with the Holy Ghost. There is nothing so absolutely needed to declare the word of God as divine authority, heavenly unction, and Holy Ghost anointing. Nothing, nothing at all compares to that need. Human effort, even sincere, biblically informed human effort, can never further the kingdom of God in any way at all, amen? At all. There's no way you're gonna help out God. You bring yourself into it, you are going to defile it. And that's an absolute. Doesn't matter what valid scriptural metaphor that you might cite, all teach that human wisdom, ingenuity, and strength are absolutely of no use in spiritual matters. For example, if we're planting a spiritual vineyard, the branches bear no fruit except they abide in the vine. If we're building a spiritual house, the Bible teaches us, except the Lord build, we labor in vain. 
And if we foolishly labor in vain, then great shall the fall be of it. Amen. If we attempt to guard those under our spiritual care, the watchman waketh in vain, except the Lord keep the city. If we're fighting a spiritual battle, the weapons of our warfare are never carnal. They are only mighty through God, amen, etc., and so forth. This is taught and communicated all over the scriptures. And so it is when endeavoring to further the kingdom, the principle is always this, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. No one then, apart from the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the heavenly unction it provides, can rightly preach the gospel. No one without exception. You could repeat the words of the Bible verbatim, and yet it isn't rightly, wouldn't be rightly uh, right to refer to it as biblical preaching or true biblical preaching without the leading and the empowering of God's Spirit. The Word and the Spirit are one. Divide the Word from the Spirit, amen, and it nullifies it. First Thessalonians 1 and 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. This is New Testament gospel proclamation. This is an absolute we can accomplish nothing, especially preaching the gospel, if we are carnal. Amen, if you're carnal, you're not gonna be able to preach. If you're carnal, you're not gonna be able to witness. You can try, you can, you can listen to someone's spiritual witness and you can repeat what they say. You're gonna defile what you repeat. We must be spiritual. What does that mean? That demands we be thoroughly born of the Spirit. We be filled with the Spirit. We be subject to the Spirit. And we be led by the Spirit. Thus, the depth of our conversion, the surety of our Spirit infilling, the accuracy of our revelation of God and the sincerity of our consecration to the Lord Jesus Christ, all those things set the spiritual tone for our Christian pilgrimage. And through exposure to the law of God, that sets the tone for a deep repentance, amen? A deep repentance in turn facilitates a sound conversion, which fully embraces the cross. If you don't see yourself as God sees you, you will never agree with the death penalty, amen? If you don't agree with God's sentence against you, I'm not talking about what people say. I'm talking about having a revelation in your spirit. You'll never submit to death if you don't see, see yourself as God sees you, amen? Consider the apostle Paul who had what was arguably the most dramatic conversion in the New Testament. He was filled with the Holy Ghost immediately, as a Jew and a Pharisee, his familiarity with the law was without question. His conviction experience under the schoolmaster of the law is represented in Romans chapter 7. And the results was a life fully spent for God and mightily used. So, so the greatest hindrance to you and I being a witness for Jesus is not so much a lack of biblical understanding, and we need biblical understanding. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm speaking primarily here. It's not the need for you to perfect apologetic arguments. No, the greatest hindrance 
to you and I being a witness for Jesus is us. The greatest hindrance for you and I being a witness for Jesus is if we have anything to do with it at all. Amen. You see, we are simply to be mouthpieces for God. We are simply to be messenger boys for God. We are to be empty vessels filled not with our own ideas, amen, but filled with the knowledge of God via the Holy Ghost. And to have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God via God's spirit, amen. I can remember, you know, in the early days of the grass business and you know, bringing my children, and one is 11, and then he's 13, and another one comes. And so then by the time I have four, I have, you know, 15, you know, 13, 12, 11, uh, those ages. And so uh, many times I would send one of them that I thought was faithful enough to handle it, um, you know, to give a message to one of my customers. Go, go knock on the door. Tell Miss Smith that we'll be back in two weeks. Or go knock on the door and get the check you know, from Miss Jones or whatever it was. And I'd always tell him, I don't want you to say anything other than what I'm telling you to say. I want you to just get the check, say thank you, come back. I want you to tell him we're going to be here next week. Don't say anything else. Just come back to the truck. And Oh, I'd send him up there. And I'm sitting in the driveway looking at him. And I can read their lips and they say what I said, but then they begin to say other things. And before you know it, you know, they're, t- they're bringing the, you know, customer around the yard, showing them how we could fertilize their trees and everything. Well, they're not being a good messenger. They don't, they, don't need, they don't need to do anything other than what I tell them to do. And I would tell the customer brings something else. You say, I'm going to go get my father. Amen. You see, this is how we need to witness. We're just, we, we don't come out there just plowing through. That's what people do. Carnal people are not even cognizant of the spirit of God's restraint. All they do is plow through, step into it, start speaking to people, and they're nothing but a hindrance, amen, nothing, amen, but a stumbling block. Because that flesh stinks, and that flesh and that presence of self hinders the flow of God's spirit. You to be a good witness, you've got to die. You've got to get out of the way. We must be sensitive to the Spirit of God to be the empty vessel. Because we have, we know going into it, I've got nothing to contribute here. The only thing I have to contribute is an empty vessel. I, there's thirsty people. Hey, man, I don't have any water, but I got a cup. Someone else is going to fill the cup and provide the water. I'm just a vessel. But what to say, how to act, how to respond. Amen. I must be guided by the Holy Ghost. And we cannot develop a sensitivity to Jesus while sitting hours and watching YouTube every day. Only in prayer. Only by having his burden. Amen. Only being truly moved by God with his burden, entering in, brought into union with the heart of God. That doesn't happen because you say a 15-minute prayer before you go on the street. But that's what religious carnal people do. Amen. They don't see God all week, but then they want to go on the street and they want to elbow everybody out of the way and say something for Jesus when they don't even know Jesus. You can't represent God that way. 
It takes time. It takes a burden. It takes a real desire. I want to accurately represent God. God help me. Woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. Isaiah 50 and 4, the Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Amen. You're not going to speak a word in season if you don't, if you're not taught by God. You're going to have to be taught by God. In ministry of every sort, any and every part of the scripture is a possible applied topic. Here is, you know, sinner number one. What do I need to say to him? I need to say this. But I can't say all of it to me once. And there's a lot of it, amen. It's all applicable to him in a general sense. But there's something very specific God wants to say out of here. Amen. There's no way you and I are going to figure that out or guess it apart from the mind of God and the leading of the Spirit. Amen. No one is naturally inclined to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. No one. Amen. We're called to do the impossible, to represent a God so above, so beyond, and so other, who is sufficient for these things. It'd be like, you know, I have no training uh, to be a heart surgeon, and I don't believe any of us here do. Amen. But if someone were to provide me with the most meticulous medical journal, and bring me into the operating room and hand me the scaffolds, even though I have all the information at my disposal, there's no, I'm gonna kill somebody, amen, if I try to perform heart surgery. I'm gonna have to have a skilled technician, amen, a surgeon guide my very hands or I'm going to be dangerous. How much more when we're dealing with men's souls? Amen. And when we just go out on the street or on the campus and we haven't sought God and all we've been doing is laughing at comedians, etc., on YouTube, we are ill-prepared to carry the word of God. We're tinkering with men's souls. We're going to kill somebody. That's why there needs to be a fear. Amen. You haven't been seeking God? Shut up. Shut up. Humble yourself. Go pray. Go on the street, pray, get a burden that you don't just pray, amen, the night you go out there or the day you go out there. Notice what Jesus said the results of the baptism of the Holy Ghost would be. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And that word witnesses means eyewitness spectators, something you got to see, something you got. My dad saw this and told me about it. My mother saw this and told me about it. I've heard this over and over all my life. My brother knows about it. Hey, but I'm just repeating. I'm just a, a religious parrot. And we all repeat one another. and We learn from one another. Hey, Amen. that's all right. But you have to see this for yourself or you're really not a witness those with a legal testimony, and most importantly, a martyr. You see, this the baptism of the Holy Ghost 
is the power to die. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, and really everything else is encompassed in that, you know, that definition there. Because you and I are the greatest hindrance to being a witness for Jesus. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost gets us out of the equation. When we're filled with God's spirit, then we're not going with our mind. We're going with the mind of Christ. Amen. We're empowered. We're anointed. There, There's unction. There's something otherworldly that's touching us that helps us to penetrate the heart. Aside from that, my persuasion, your persuasion will do little good. There has to be that unction, that heavenly anointing. And what grieves the anointing and the Spirit of God more than anything else is a proud, obstinate, religious professor that refuses the cross so that he is removed from the equation. So we establish this absolute. A man who is not baptized in the Holy Ghost is ill-equipped to be a sound witness for Jesus. So I know some would ask, "Well, well, yeah, what about church history? What, what about all these folks that weren't, you know, what about Charles Finney and, and John Wesley and, they, and, and Tozer and, and whoever else and Ian Paisley? And again, you, you, better not for, you better not formulate your theology based on, let alone your own experience, but someone else's experience. Amen? Amen? You say, well, what, what do you say that about? I don't have to answer that. I got a Bible. I got the words of Jesus. Amen? And those words are true no matter who it is. Now, I'm not going to dishonor those that have come before me. Well, I'm convicted, amen, that those men had such a testimony without, amen, the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I don't have to explain it. I just know this. I got a Bible, and it tells me I need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, amen? So that's an absolute. Unless you are filled, baptized in the Holy Ghost, you do not meet that condition to preach the gospel. What about the practical preaching? 1 Peter 1 and 25 reads this way. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word, the word of the Lord, which by the gospel is preached unto you. So notice the gospel is preached via the word of the Lord. And certainly that term, the word of the Lord, it can refer to the whole of Scripture. However, throughout the Bible, the word of the Lord usually represents a more specific application of Scripture. Generally, a timely, relevant word, an applicable portion of Scripture taken from the whole of the Bible and appropriately delivered under divine anointing. 1 Peter 1 and 12 says, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. In other words, spirit-led, spirit-taught, spirit-empowered, witnessing, preaching, or ministry that is rich with scriptural content and authority. So we must remember a distinction should be made between the entire Bible and the specific Bible truth that someone needs at the moment. And of course, we have talked about this many, many times, uh, you know, before. Scriptural truths are always biblical facts. 
but scriptural truths are not always the word of the Lord. Amen? So God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh he rested. That's a biblical fact. Amen? But that may not be what I need to tell, amen, Mr. You know, Jason Smith at Louisiana Tech. Amen? It may not be the thing that he needs right at that moment. So there's a difference between biblical facts and the word of the Lord. In 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so consider that for a moment. What is the oracles of God? Well, the definition says a brief divine utterance taken from the whole. And basically, this is confirming. If I speak, the Bible is commanding, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Certainly that can't mean if he opens his mouth to speak, he's got to quote the whole Bible. No, he's got to quote, quote scripture, but he needs to quote that scripture that is relevant right now to the situation. Amen? That's what it means if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So as we are ministering Friday night, amen, to the concert goers, as we had an opportunity to preach to them, amen, we are obligated to speak as the oracles of God. As we stopped and talked with people or some to, uh, you know, stopped and we were able to try to minister to them, we are obligated to speak as the oracles of God. Basically, what? Did God want to tell that person or those people right now in this moment? And if we don't give them, amen, the word of the Lord, then we're not speaking as the oracles of God. Amen. amen. As we evangelize, we may give sinners biblical facts, but unless we've given them the word of the Lord, then we have failed. The God-called preacher is obligated to give people not just facts from the scriptures, but the living word. By the living word, we mean the scriptural truth that God desires to apply to that particular person or people at that given moment. A word spoken in due season. How good is it, says Proverbs 15 and 23. Biblical facts are general, while the word of the Lord is specific, often offensive. Proverbs 25, 11 through 12. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. You know, I've used that analogy many, many times, but I'll just repeat it here this morning. If we are leaving church here, there's a man pulled on the side of the road and his truck has broke down and his, um, the hood of his truck is up and rolling out, you know, steam, etc. obviously has a, a broken radiator hose, and I pull over, amen, behind his truck and take a weed eater out of the back of my pickup and begin to teach him how wonderful a tool a weed eater is and what you can do with a weed eater and, you know, everything about a weed eater. I haven't lied to him, but I haven't given him the truth that he needs, amen? And so it is with us. We're obligated to specifically pinpoint how can you do that? How can you know the heart of another person? 
You cannot know their heart. Granted, there's some things that we can, you know, deduce uh, in the natural, a tree by its fruit. Amen. We know if a man's in a strip club, well, he's involved in the sin of lust, etc. We can narrow things down, yes, but ultimately, amen, we're dealing with the hearts of individuals and only God really knows the heart. So we have to have the mind of God, amen. Gospel preaching, amen, is never static but dynamic. It's animated and directed by the agency of God's Spirit who intimately knows the heart of the gospel audience. In other words, gospel preaching is God using his ordained vessel of the church to communicate and responding appropriately, interacting appropriately to the heart and the response of the hearers. That's what gospel ministry is, amen? We're just simply the cup that gets filled up to deliver the water, amen? And then how we interact with people is in regards to their response to divine truth as we are governed and led by the Spirit of God. Now, the pattern of divine revelation is the Scriptures, amen? Amen. That's the pattern. And the nature of that revelation is both incremental and progressive. God, God didn't just, you know, throw a complete Bible out of heaven, amen? There, there was a divine order in which it was given, amen? And when we talk about canon, amen, the way that canon is, you know, canon includes the arrangement of those, you know, books in the Bible. And the way they are arranged reflects the order of God. So the Bible opens with creation. In creation, we're introduced to the creator, and that establishes his ultimate authority over all the universe. We're informed of the fall of man, amen, the judgment for sin, being cast out of the garden, etc., and so forth. Then comes the law, the prophets, the gospels, uh, then the epistles with Christian instruction, etc., and so forth. And, and that is a very general uh, treatment. But, you know, in the larger sense, amen, first the law, then grace. This is God's pattern of revelation. First the law, then grace. And he let all humanity, you know, met, uh, uh, marinate in the law for quite a while, amen, <laughs> before grace was every, you know, truly revealed in time. As the Bible teaches by the law, and we say the law, again, in this regard, moral law. There are three spheres of law, ceremonial, civil, civic, and moral. And so we're speaking about moral law. Much confusion in the modern church about the law. And uh, people are against the law and think the law is spiritually counterproductive. Amen. Well, if it's used wrong, and I'm speaking of the moral law, but the moral law has a place in the New Testament. So as the Bible teaches, the moral law, and by it is the knowledge of sin, and the same as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now, no one's getting born again without the law. No one's getting born again without the law. No one. No one can know sin. They can have the knowledge of sin without the law. So the Bible says, right? Amen. So it, there's no other way for someone to have knowledge about sin, but by the law. Now, granted, the moral law is written on the heart. So everyone has been informed about moral law. But without that law being applied, and a man 
acquiescing and saying amen and bowing the knee to the law, he's not getting born again. Amen? Thus, the law, as demonstrated by God's order of revelation, is a necessary preface to preparing the sinner's heart for the marrow of the gospel. Psalms 19 and 7, the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, amen? Now, we know the Bible also says, amen, no man shall be justified by the works of the law. So is that a contradiction? Well, we know there's no contradictions. So what is this teaching us? Amen. The law is clearly a spiritual catalyst for conviction that leads to conversion. Amen. Uh, It's the law that brings a man to his knees where he's willing to appreciate the gospel. Amen. You know, I recall uh, Ray Comfort's analogy. I believe he called it circumstantial priorities. And he basically said, if, if you offered a man, you know, a five-gallon bucket of water or a five-gallon bucket of diamonds, uh, he would be, you know, foolish or insane to choose the water over the diamonds. Everybody would choose the diamonds. But if you put him in a desert where there's no water and he hasn't drank any water for two and a half days, he'll choose the water every single time. You see, the laws would put that sinner, amen, in the desert. Amen. And makes his circumstances change, where his priorities can change. The only way out of this, amen, is the cross in Jesus Christ. No one apart from a thorough preparation by moral law can or will. No one. No one's going to choose. Amen. If you're standing out your yard cutting grass and I walk by and throw a life preserver in your face and say, take it quickly, you're going to be like, I'm insane. You don't have to be aware you're in trouble, amen? And that there's no other way to awaken a sinner. No other means you're not going to give them some water on a hot day or fill up their bicycle tires, amen, or just simply invite them over for, you know, a weenie roast or, you know, Dale Earnhardt's got his car parked out front or, or we got a moonwalk in the back for the children. None of that's going to prepare a sinner for the gospel. Only the law. And it ain't going to be popular. That's the, you know, the foolishness of the apostate church. Thinks they're wiser than God, smarter than God, and more loving than God. Amen. They are brutal. Amen. They're bloodthirsty. They're, they're filled with a hatred of neglect, blindness, arrogance, and pride. Only the law is going to prepare that heart. Amen, Mr. Spurgeon, amen, even a Calvinist, said they will never accept grace until they tremble before a just and holy law, amen. And that could, again, be even just the conscience and the application of that uh, knowledge or that revelation uh, via the conscience by the Holy Ghost. You know, I got born again. I didn't know one Christian. I got born again in my apartment, just me and the Holy Ghost. Never one person witnessing to me in that period. Now, I'd had people witness to me before, and I was raised in church, and I'd seen the Bible. So those things I did have more, uh, you know, very limited, nothing like you young people have. Amen? But I had some revelation of God. Amen? But very little. But the Holy Ghost dealt with me. 
The Holy Ghost was witnessing to me. So it could be, amen, via, you know, the conscience, the application of God's spirit. Nevertheless, amen, the way the Holy Ghost dealt with me is I'm on my way to hell. Everything that I was doing was magnified. Sin became exceeding sinful. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient. Okay, that means the law, it's made for St. Patrick's Day parades and, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, Spanish Town parades, amen, and, and made for, uh, you know, the Mercy Me concert and all these things, amen. So we're not off, you know, the, the, the religious, the wimpy religion is because you're preaching the law. Of course we're preaching the law. It's made for people like you religious hypocrites and all these people grabbing their genitals and screaming and blaspheming and defending their sin. That's what the law's for. And we're using the right tool. When we reach in the gospel toolbox, we, we got the right one. Amen. This tool is for this crowd. For the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for men slayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. You can't tell sinners to stop all this. You can't tell sinners. How can you expect sound doctrine? They're not going to pay sound doctrine. I think I'll side with Paul. I think I'll just side with Paul here. Amen. Here the Apostle Paul essentially teaches, amen, that the use of the moral law lawfully was something that is clearly part of gospel declaration. And again, it would be unlawful, amen, to tell someone, all you have to do to be saved is to keep the law. That would be heresy. Everybody say amen. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with urging men to keep the law. You cannot, I'll say this emphatically, you say you're preaching the law and you don't communicate that men must keep the law, you're not preaching the law. You can't preach the law without communicating God expects you to obey that. It's, in, it's insane, amen? Some say, well, the law is not the gospel. Well, in one sense, that's true. The law cannot save, it cannot bring justification. However, in a larger sense, it is needed. It is a necessary part of the fuller gospel repertoire. This has been understood by godly men throughout church history. Mr. Wesley said this, undoubtedly both law and gospel should be preached in their turn, yea, both at once or both in one. All the conditional promises are instances of this. They are law and gospel mixed together. According to this model, I should advise every preacher continually to preach the law. The law grafted upon, tempered by, and animated with the spirit of the gospel. There is nothing contrary at all between the law and the gospel. There is no need for the law to pass away in order to the establishing of the gospel. Indeed, neither of them supersedes the other, but they agree perfectly well together. Yea, the very same words, considered in different respects, are parts both of the law and the gospel. 
If they're considered as commandments, they're parts of the law. If it's promises of the gospel. Thus, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, when considered as a commandment is a branch of the law. When regarded as a promise, it is an essential part of the gospel. The gospel being no other than the commandments the law proposes by way of promises. Accordingly, poverty of spirit, purity of heart, and whatever else is enjoined in the holy law of God are, none, are no other when viewed in a gospel light than so many great and precious promises. There is therefore the closest connection that can be conceived between the law and the gospel. On the one hand, the law continually makes way for, for and points us to the gospel. On the other, the gospel continually leads us to a more exact fulfilling of the law. We may yet further observe that every command in Holy Red is only a covered promise. Amen. That was Mr. Wesley. He certainly understood the right distinction between law and grace. Mr. Finney said this, Evermore the law must prepare the way for the gospel. To overlook this in instructing souls is almost certain to result in false hope. The introduction of a false standard of Christian experience and to fill the churches with false converts. Mr. Finney prophesying, amen, of what we see today in the professing church. Mr. Bunyan said, the man who does not know the nature of the law cannot know the nature of sin. And he who does not know the nature of sin cannot know the nature of the Savior. Amen. You see, the law, listen to me. Everyone rages about preaching against sin. Everyone rages about preaching judgment. Amen. You're turning people off. You are, uh, you know, uh, alienating people by this strong message against sin. Let the religious hypocrites rage. The reason they are raging is because they've got the spirit of the devil. And the last thing the devil wants is there to be light. Amen. It works and it always works. And they can rage and they can blaspheme and they can talk back. But all I know is when I declare the word of God and particularly the law, I am shining moral light. And that moral light is either going to break somebody or harden someone. And that's an absolute. Furthermore, with the Great Commission, we've also been given gospel principles. These principles temper and qualify the administration and application of gospel preaching. For example, example in Matthew 10 and 16, Behold, I send you for the sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. This, of course, is just simply teaching us that we are to define sinners rightly. We're not to be enamored with how nice they are and what they say. They're sinners. They're God-haters at the core, amen? And so according to the Bible, we need to consequently walk in circumspection, amen, protecting our testimony before the ungodly. But here are two more kindred gospel principles, and there's many of these. I'm not covering all these, just touching on a few. But here are two more kindred gospel principles for evangelistic preaching. First of all, from James 4 and 6, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God resisteth the proud. And that's, there's two verses in the Bible that reiterate this, right? Amen, God, amen, resisteth the proud, 
He giveth grace. Sometimes, though, he will. Sometimes he will. No, he won't. Every, every once in a while, he will. Yeah, I know this person. He's never given grace to the proud. Never. You know why? He never gives grace to the proud. Never. Amen. See, we need to read the Bible and believe it. Amen. So from this, we understand law to the proud, grace to the humble. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth comes by Jesus Christ. But God never gives grace to the, to the proud, amen, only to the humble. Secondly, Jesus offered words closely related. Again, gospel principle. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Amen? So from these two principles, we understand. The Spirit of God, amen, will rarely, if ever, lead us to give the precious marrow of the gospel to someone who refuses to humble themselves, acquiescing to and agreeing with the law that we should be telling them. We should inform them. I'm blaspheming God. The Bible says God's going to hold you guilty for that blasphemy. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. That's the law. I'd say what I want. You know, Jesus died for you. Now, now again, if, especially when we're dealing with, you know, multiple people here, or we're, you know, on the street, we have a crowd. Do you understand? It's not that saying that Jesus died for somebody is forbidden. Do you understand? But the heart of what God wants to give an individual or people when they are proud is the law. And until they bow their knee and say, that's true, that's right, and I'm wrong, they are ill-prepared for the gospel. Amen? They're dogs. They're swine. Amen? And you know what they'll do with that? They'll mock, laugh. They'll blaspheme God. They'll say Jesus was a sodomite. They'll tell, that's what they're doing with the Lord Jesus. That's what they're doing with the precious pearl of great price when you give it to them and they haven't been humbled by the law. So we understand, amen. Remember when John the Baptist from prison, prison sent messengers to Jesus to confirm that he was the promised Messiah. Jesus responded with, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, Jesus is quoting a prophecy. In other words, he's basically telling John, I'm fulfilling this. Amen? But notice he said, the poor have the gospel preached to them. We're speaking about the practical preaching of the gospel. Who's Jesus preaching the uh, gospel to? To the poor. Well, that word could mean people destitute of wealth, amen, but it also could mean people who are lowly, humble, helpless in spirit, powerless, and needy, and that is a direct uh, uh, definition out of the Strong's. And so the context, amen, of that word there, poor, that that Greek word that's translated poor there, the context is what generally gives us the proper usage. Moreover, Jesus uttered the following words recorded in Luke 4 and 18. He's basically 
Amen. Quoting the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And so he is quoting basically the prophecy found in Isaiah 61 and 1, which gives us the irrefutable context of his use of the word poor in both Matthew 11 and 6 and in Luke 4 and 18. And this is how it reads in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, unto the humble. Amen. He resisteth the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So clearly in accordance with the gospel principle of never casting our pearl before swine, God has ordained the marrow of the gospel to be only preached to the humble and lowly. And again, we don't want to become you know, legal in the sense that these other folks are becoming. You have to say the, you know, the, 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 the death, the burial, the resurrection, you haven't preached the gospel. We're not saying if you, you know, say Jesus died for you and you're preaching, etc., and so forth. But we know when we're on a campus or we're in a place, unless someone is showing a brokenness, then we are concentrating on law and judgment. Everyone understand? Amen. Amen. Psalms 34 and 18, the Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart. Save as such as be of a contrite spirit. It's not saving people that don't have a contrite spirit. And I, and I know, you know, from early on as a Christian and having a desire to win souls, and that's what you have people that are biblically illiterate, they're ill-informed, they may have a desire to bring people to church, and they don't want to do things that's going to upset them. Amen? They just tell them the good part and Come on, it's going to be all right. They're just hoping that everything is going to work out and they fill the church with tears. And it's, it's unbelief. Amen. It's unbelief in God's way. His ways are not our ways. Amen. We're not selling the damn way. Isaiah 66 and 2, For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. That's a man ready for the gospel. That's a man ready. Blessed are the poor in spirit, said Jesus. Sermon on the Mount, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Until men have been rendered utterly meek by the revelation of God the lawgiver and the revelation of God the judge, they're ill-prepared for the revelation of the Lamb of God. And that brings me to another closely related gospel principle, John 9 and 39. And Jesus said, for judgment I am coming to this world, and they which that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And so it is, that's the words of Jesus. I, I see this all right, Jesus. I don't know. I'm, I'm good. You can be blind. Amen. You say you see, you can be blind. Amen. What, what, what do we run to? 90% of the time. 99% of the time. We are in a generation under judgment. We're, we're in a generation where people have hard hearts. That's just a fact. You know, I, I can remember when I went to Russia the first time. That was the first mission trip that I'd ever been on in my life. Never been out of America. Preached many places in America. And there are some distinctions and differences. You know, you preach in the South. You preach in Hollywood. You preach in New York. There are some cultural differences. Amen. Lots more people in the South claim to 
to be right with God. But for the most part, it's just a very hardened culture towards the gospel. So never been exposed to anything other, amen? And I went to uh, Russia, and, 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 uh, and the guy that invited me there was a pastor there, but he had gotten basically saved uh, from our street ministry, and uh, he knew that I was a street preacher, and so he assigned a, um, an interpreter. You know, I had interpreters that were the, the very best interpreters when I preached in church, but he just gave me an interpreter, basically stayed in the room with me, wherever I wanted to go, we're on the transit, et cetera, and so forth, that I could witness and preach to people. And so his name was Vadim, and we'd get on you know, the bus or whatever, and they'd be just filled with people. And in Russia, people don't talk on a bus. I guess that over the years of communism, you don't want to stand out in communism, amen? So that you get on a bus, it's dead silent. I mean, it's, nobody's saying a word. They just, you know. And so I'd say, Vadim, we're going to preach against the Orthodox Church. You ready? You know, to, well, we will preach here, you know? Yeah, because, you know, when I started preaching and he's repeating me, they're not looking at me, they're looking at him, amen? <laughs> <laughs> the Orthodox Church is from the pit of hell, you know? Well, we would preach on those buses and the bus would stop and we would get off and everybody on the bus would get off. I ain't kidding either. Talking about 100 people get off and surround you. Start asking questions. They were... I remember one night we went out to get, you know, that was right when communism you know, had basically uh, fallen and capitalism was kind of making its way uh, into Russia. And so people were setting up booths and selling things. And, you know, the only things that they had that were American there, you know, the food quality, everything's really just low. Uh, you know, their food or you don't know what you're buying, you know. But the only thing that they made it from America was Pepsi and Snicker bars. That's all they had that was American. And so we'd go out at night sometimes and get us a Pepsi or what have you. And we were in line, had a little, like a little tea building, like a little Graceland building, and had a little sliding door, you know, like a, one of these snowball uh, stands or whatever. And they were selling all sorts of stuff. And I saw pornography. So I told Vadim, we're going to preach. So I began to preach. The guy shut the door, turned his sign, closed, told everybody to go home, came out, was so convicted and just amazing how convicted. And there was another man there from Georgia, which uh, you've heard of, you know, the Republic of Georgia within the USSR. And the people are very dark-skinned. They almost look Muslim. And, and I began to talk to him, again, through Vadim. And um, as I began to talk to him, he had never heard the name of Jesus. And so I just started going through the law with him, just going through the Ten Commandments. And we got to you know, honor your fa father and mother. And he began to weep. And he, and he said, you know, or Vadim's telling me what he said, I, this, is a, this is a very troubling saying. That's what he said. And, you know, as we begin to dug, he, had, he was estranged from his parents and completely convicted. I can just remember ministering to him and thinking, this, this works. You know, <laughs> this is the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> like, it, it, it does have power, amen? But, you know, what we're dealing with is a lot of hard-heartedness, Amen. <laughs> Never doubt. And we went to, you know, Mexico, and we would walk up and down in the colonials and preach, and we would bring our tracks, and they'd just surround us. We'd sing a song. I'd preach for 15 minutes. You'd turn around, amen, and everybody's sitting in the dirt reading those tracks. Everybody. I mean, just, they weren't throwing them away. No mockery whatsoever. It's a, it's a different culture. And uh, just the problem in America is a lot of hard-heartedness. Amen. And that's why we are led to preach the, the, the way that we are being or the way that we preach. 
For judgment I am coming to the world, Jesus said. That they would see, not might see, that they might see, they would see might be made blind. And so it is Jesus, accompanied by the Holy Ghost, the final revelation of God, amen, has judgment attached. Amen, everybody thinks about Jesus, you know, carrying a little lamb, and they come in contact. You come, hey, you young people come in contact with Jesus like you have all your life? Amen. You keep resisting him? He's going to make you blind. He's going to make you blind. He's going to make you blind. Not the devil. He is. Amen. You come in contact with Jesus, a fearful thing. You better respond right. Yes, he was sent first to say, to deliver and not to condemn, but condemnation is sure for those who are confronted by the light, yet shun God's son. There is no excuse. I think I need to think about this for a while. There's no excuse to reject Jesus, not for one second. Some of you young people have rejected Jesus ever since you can remember. Thus, the attitude of men's hearts and their respective responses to divine revelation always reap God-ordained consequences to the obstinate and proud deception, to the humble and contrite mercy. Contrary to what many would assume, God will often deceive the hardened heart. Matthew eleven twenty five through 26, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent. And has revealed them unto bay. You know, God's deceiving people many times while we're preaching the gospel. And that's the will of God. God is using his word to harden hearts and to deceive people and to hide the gospel, not reveal it to, to hide it from them. Because their heart is hard. Because of unbelief. You see, that, that's not a popular. But that's what the Bible is that what it says? Even so, Father, for it seemeth good in thy sight. The following is a practical example taken from Scripture of this gospel principle being applied by the apostle Paul and Barnabas. Acts 13, 45-46. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. That's, that sounds like a day, amen, at LSU, don't it? That sounds like a day out there at the St. Patrick's Day parade. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it off from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. It's the will of God. Amen. I believe they were directed by the Holy Ghost. But you had your chance and the gospel came to you and you threw it in the mud this is going to be the repercussions of it. And some of you, instead of sleeping, young people, you better pay attention because that's what the Holy Ghost says to you. You throw the gospel behind you. You put it under your foot. You say, tomorrow I'm going to obey. Tomorrow, amen, listen to me. You're going to be turned over, amen, and it will be the will of God. It will be good. God wants you to be born again, amen, but don't you take for granted and disesteem the mercy of God to you. So gospel preaching is not so much about having to mention the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 
but rather about being appropriate and preparing people's hearts so they appreciate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Again, incremental revelation has always been God's standard. Remember, the Jews were people well acquainted with and informed by the law before God sent them the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 4 and 4, for when the fullness of time was come, the appropriate time, in God's time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So, you know, first of all, think about that. God withheld the Lord Jesus. God withheld the Lord Jesus, until the appropriate time. And I realize, you know, there are lots of variables here, and I'm not saying this is an exact parallel to individuals, but still, God withheld the Lord Jesus until the appropriate time, amen? So it says, amen, God sent forth his son made of a woman under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that, amen, they might receive the adoption of sons. So we've got to first preach people under the law, amen, before the Spirit of God will be ready to redeem them from under the law. Amen, most of them are not under the law. When they're grabbing their genitals and say, I can fornicate, I'm a homosexual, they're not under the law. They are rejecting the law. A man under the law is saying, the law is right, the law is just, the law is holy. I can't keep the law. Who shall deliver me? Who shall deliver me? That's a man under the law. And that's a man who's ready for the gospel. You see, this was all God's doing, Galatians 3, 23 through 25. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. Now, do you understand? There's got to be a season where a man is under the law. There has to be that, amen? It was the same on the larger scale, but it's also true on the individual scale. Consider Jesus' ministry to the rich young ruler. And when he was gone forth into the way, Mark 17 and 22 reads, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, now, you, you can imagine if somebody came and fell at their feet and asked one of these wimpy religionists what they might do to entertain eternal life. What would they do? We just come to church with you. Just say the sinner's prayer. Jesus loves you. That's what they would do. That ain't what Jesus did. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now, a lot of people would say this was not loving, amen. But the Bible said he loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Amen. Do you see the pattern here? He started with the law. 
He is asking him how to. Jesus didn't worry about, he might get confused. Now he asked me how, to, Jesus, no good and well keeping the law, wasn't gonna give him eternal life. Amen? But he wasn't afraid of using God's, amen, pattern of revelation. Amen? He understood he is the wisdom of God and he is God, obviously. Amen? He didn't, you know, preach the looming death, burial, and resurrection, though he did mention the cross at the end. But he preached the law. And when the man walked away troublesome and sad, he didn't go, you know, after him. Look, if you just come, we have a lot of programs at the church that will make you feel comfortable. Didn't do that. Just let him go. Let him marinate. Amen in the law. So in conclusion, the scriptural definition of the preaching of the gospel is not necessarily concentrating on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I do believe, amen, it's lawful to speak that. Amen. And to you know include that in all I'm not, and I believe obviously no one is going to get born again without that message. Amen. But the preaching of the gospel is rather, as it says in 2 Timothy 4 and 2, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. In other words, the whole Bible is at your disposal. Be led of the Spirit of God. Amen. Don't be afraid. Say what needs to be said. Amen. To be equipped with the full counsel of God, filled and led by the Holy Ghost, giving every man the word of the Lord, with ultimately a willingness to always lead prepared and humbled hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and the saving gospel. Amen? Amen. That's the preaching of the gospel, to be appropriate. Amen. And I would never withhold Jesus from anyone, amen, who is prepared to receive. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand. Hallelujah. The defining of the gospel. Trust this has been a blessing to you. Would you lift your hands? Hallelujah. Just thank him here this morning. Thank God that we heard the gospel. Thank God someone preached the gospel to us. We're thankful, Lord, for that word. Thankful for that gospel that saves to the uttermost, oh God. We give you honor. We give you praise. Lord, that you would equip us. You would fill us with your spirit that we could be sound witnesses for you, Father God. That we would embrace the cross, that we would be removed from the evangelistic equation. That we would be filled with our spirit and have the mind of Christ, being sensitive, circumcised in heart and ears. We pray, make us a witness, make us a light in the midst of this crooked and adulterous generation. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand clap of prayer. Hallelujah, 6 o'clock tonight. We come back ready to seek the Lord Tuesday, 11 o'clock a.m. at ULL. Amen. Let's come ready, prepared, filled with the Holy Ghost to be a witness. Amen. God bless you. We will see you this evening.